Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd. And Lyson Casey. We're going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Everything from setting up a board to securing funding, building their products, and everything in between. Most importantly, these founders are going to share who they are and what it takes to lead a company. Today, we're hosting Fatima Zaidi, the CEO and founder of Quill. Thanks for listening. Hi, Samantha Lloyd here with Floater Founder. I'm here with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello. And today we have an amazing guest, Fatima Zaidi, here with us. She's the CEO and founder of Quill. Hi, everyone. Nice to be virtually connected. <laughs> So I guess we'll start off uh, asking you a lot of questions about Quill. We have people signing up for beta, uh, yeah. so that's really exciting. Yeah, it is really exciting. You know, it's interesting. We haven't launched yet. We're looking for like an end of summer launch, and we already have 500 podcasters signed up on our, our beta platform, you know, waiting to get next steps and, and user testing access. So we're really excited about the traction that we've gotten. And, you know, just for context to listeners, um, Quill is a freelance marketplace one-stop shop for anyone looking to start a podcast so any freelance services that you need from you know renting studio equipment studio space uh editing research branding you name it we'll we'll have that service available on our platform with try tested and vetted freelancers that's awesome amazing so uh can you tell us a little bit more about these services and kind of the assistance that you're going to provide to podcasters mm -hmm. and also why podcasters? Like, well, what is it about podcasts that, that made you think that mm -hmm. this industry, you, you could provide a, a service to people in it? Yeah, great question. So, you know, the infancy, I would say, of this project started probably a year ago. When I first joined 88 a few years ago, and 88 is my current agency that I um, run sales for, uh, one of the new revenue streams I wanted to introduce was podcast marketing, just because, you know, at the time I'm like, oh, this is cool, it's a fad, um, it's really up and coming, why not try it? And then I started looking deeper into podcast marketing and, and you know, talked to people at Midroll and Gimlet and TPX and found that it's actually pretty insane that podcast advertising traditionally converts at about 61%, yeah. as high as 61%. And, you know, that's insane when you think about how traditional advertising mm -hmm. only convert, converts at 1% to 2%. And so we really started, you know, getting really hyper-local hyper with our advertising with very local podcasts. Um, and I, I noticed brands that are looking to connect with young consumers like HelloFresh and Casper and Warby Parker are moving aggressively into the podcast marketing space. And so I started doing some research on, you know, what companies are servicing the podcast industry. And I found there's absolutely no competition. It's a very, very, very like isolated market. And it could be for a few reasons. It could be similar to the uh, what used to be the cannabis industry a year ago or blockchain and Bitcoin where it's just such a new industry that yeah. people, you know, are like scared to dabble in it because they don't know much about it and they're not, not quote unquote experts. And so I, you know, started looking, talking to a lot of podcasters, including Samantha, <laughs> um, started, you know, doing a lot of due diligence and research. I think we've been in the research market discovery um, phase for almost a year now and, you know, after talking to what is probably thousands of podcasters, we realized that some of the pain points were when you want to start a podcast, you don't necessarily know where to go. There's yeah. no like one stop shop for yeah. everything that you may need associated with your podcast. And another big gap is advertising and ad revenue. So brands like, you know, Warby Parker and HelloFresh and 
tell is PayPal. They're looking for very targeted advertising with a very specific demographic and mm-hmm. getting stats on those demographic, who those people are, which podcast to find them on. Um, so I decided to create a marketplace, almost like the freelancer.com or Upwork uh, version, just specifically for content creators and podcasters. And as time goes on, we'll add more services, but we're starting with the most basic services, which is branding, research, editing, um, scripting, producing, and like studio rental and, and equipment. That's awesome. And um, can you talk more about that uh, target market that podcasters typically have? Who is the demographic? Yeah. So the demographic is typically young, affluent, educated millennial professionals. It's like a space that's very ripe for marketers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the nature of podcasts is engaged hosts building trust and rapport with loyal listeners. And then they can in turn attract influence the type of ads they attract and so you know it's no wonder that this space is pretty ripe for brands looking to connect with the young millennials and i think by the year 2020 millennials are going to account for 70 percent of the workforce and mm-hmm. so i think it's you know no, a no-brainer that people need to be focusing a little bit more on podcast marketing and i think it's interesting because um, brands are set to double their ad spend on podcast marketing. Wow. And so I think we're going to see a lot more movement in this space. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, we're already seeing a ton of movement with Spotify acquiring Gimlet for oh, 200 yeah. million and Serial, the biggest podcast of all times, announcing their exclusive streaming partnership with Pandora. That's awesome. Amazing. And with uh, 60% conversion rates, I mean, like, you can't blame them. Yeah. But why so high? Why, why would you think that mm-hmm. podcasts have such high conversion rates, leaving uh, every other marketing? Uh, Channel. In, yeah, marketing channel in the dust. Yeah, you know, I think, again, like the nature of podcasting is like very intimate where, you know, ho- hosts, you get really close to your listeners and, you know, you care about their product re- recommendations and you trust them at the end of the day. They're mm-hmm. almost, almost like influencer marketing. And I think for that reason, people find podcast advertising to be one of the least intrusive types of digital ads. Um, which is probably why we're seeing such a high conversion rate. And almost everyone I talk to, including myself, has listened to ads on podcasts and then purchased um, just because they, you know, trust the host that they've like built a virtual relationship mm-hmm. with over time. And, um, you know, another thing I've noticed about the podcasting community is it's like a 360 feedback loop where they create communities. And... Um, podcast listeners end up generating content for podcast producers it's like a very 360 like community where people can find like-minded people and engage and if you go on a lot of these podcast forums you find that the the podcasts you know while filling their ad spots is a big you know job for them and it's a big time commitment once they're able to fill those ad spots people keep coming back it's like the same brands over and over again listen to cereal listen to like joe rogan any of those big podcasts it's always the same brands marketing on them and it's because they figured it out more better than any other brand have that their conversion and acquisitions are going to be really yeah the longevity really is what works for brands like the more they stick with the podcast like the better you get over time totally and then so i wanted to talk to you about starting a company how has that been yeah, I mean, it's we're still in like infancy. I mean, we we incorporated in August, um, but this isn't my first rodeo. It's, yeah. I knew what to expect. You know, I've been you know scaling eighty eight for the last few years. Mm-hmm. I did that for a startup right before eighty eight, which is like my baby as well. Um, so I would say I've always been pretty enterprising, but like this is probably the first time where I'm like all in. And I would say it's been really interesting. It's has has its highs, it has its lows. I mean. 
we secured a hundred thousand in pre-seed before we launched in awesome. in July yeah. when we incorporated in August, which was really helpful to get us mm-hmm. to the point we're at right now. I mean, without capital, it's a lot more challenging when you're bootstrapping. Yeah. But I would say now that we're like just post MVP stage and gearing up for a seed of one to one point five million, that's like where the real stress is starting to kick in. The real pressure. It's real money, real investors. Yeah. Um, you're doing it on your own dime. I've obviously put in yeah. a lot of my own money into this and. Um, I'm leaving 88 in a couple months and so I'm going to be all in and so that is definitely a stressful it's an yeah it's a really stressful but really exciting um, time in my life right now we haven't completely secured funding and that's been a really interesting experience I mean for female um, entrepreneurs in the funding space in Canada it's like it's an experience I mean, I it's I have a male business partner. Um, actually, Samantha, I think you've spoken to him before, Jay. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because while this is primarily my company and I'm the CEO, um, I find it really interesting that VCs typically tend to ask me mostly prevention-oriented questions around safety, responsibility, vigilance. And interesting. they tend to ask Jay um, questions around promotion, promotion-oriented questions around advancements, achievements, and goals. And... I don't know whether investors are conscious of this bias or not, but yeah. it has a significant impact on startup funding. And I'm obviously very hyper aware of it, very involved in this space. Yeah. But you know, the average deal size in 2017 for female entrepreneurs was five million, while the average deal size for male-led companies was 12 million, which yeah, is more than double. Um, so, how important would you say is it for a company to have uh, a purpose or a goal or a mission? Uh, other than just focusing on profits, mm-hmm. or would you say it's more important to just be uh, profit profit oriented? Yeah, you know that's a really that's a really interesting question because the salesperson in me is like, no, it's all about the money, and mm-hmm. if you're not scaling, you're not thinking about profits, then you're never going to be able to have like real impact in the long run. Because I mean, to really make impact, sometimes you need the money and the yeah. funds. Um, at the same time, like I'm very community driven and so is my business partner, which really helps. We're very aligned. Um, while we're still in infancy and, you know, pre revenue, we've already, you know, pledged our equity to the Upside Foundation. So um, I don't know if you guys know anything about the Upside Foundation, but they're um, a not for profit organization charity in, in Canada where they partner with companies in early stages mm-hmm. and sometimes even later stages and they come these companies pledge like one percent of their equity. Equity, and when they exit or they IPO, one percent of those funds goes to this charity. You can pick a charity of your choice. Yeah. Um, so Upside is sort of the medium. Um, I actually introduced you to yeah, Deb Coldray because yeah. her story is awesome. That's amazing. And she's very well connected in the tech community. And so um, some examples of companies who have pledged their equity alongside you know myself would be 88, mm-hmm. um, Hubbub, and Zifkin at Hubbub pledged oh, wow. their equity. And yeah. Fox Tattoos pledged their equity. Yeah. Um, Tribal Scale. There's tons of tech yeah. companies that are getting behind this movement. And you know 1% when you're starting out is nothing. It's 1% of nothing. Yeah. 1% of like a multi-million dollar company is going to be huge. very hard to yeah. pledge. So it's a really smart strategy getting in early. Um, and that 1 million could you know account for millions and millions of dollars given to yeah. a charity of your choice. Um, so I picked, I wanted to give my money to sick kids. And so mm-hmm. when, you know, Quill decides to exit for a billion dollars in yeah. five years, hopefully, goals, <laughs> big goals, um, that money is like already locked yeah. in for the Upside Foundation to, to allocate to sick kids. Very cool. And so it's just, a, I, we are really community driven. Like for us, it's, you know, we want to give back. We believe things come back full circle. We're generous with our contacts, our time, 
Um, and, you know, we think it comes back full circle. So I really do, you know, to founders out there who are thinking just for profit, I mean, that's a that's a really sad goal. Absolutely. And um, millennials are one of the largest growing demographics mm-hmm. and we care. Yeah, uh, we definitely it. do care. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a research study that I was reading by PwC and they actually found that 87% of females and 76% of male millennials actually ask about workplace policies, mission, like values and like you know what causes they can get behind before deciding which companies to work for so companies who aren't thinking about this aren't just at risk of being left behind they already are and i think that's interesting there are a lot of stereotypes that millennials are just like on twitter making noise but totally. it, it's a conscious effort when totally. we're job hunting and when we're starting companies i mean i think it's a very different time than our parents and our grandparents generations where like you stuck to like one brand or you like yeah. looked at like the big monopoly brands and you wanted to just like stick to those and they sort of own majority of the share I think now people are really looking to get behind brands that have like purpose and, and they're you know aligned with their values and also when you're working for a place as well like you yeah. want to work for a company that aligns with your values and you see yourself represented there and yeah. so I think millennials are very conscious and really because we're 70% of the demographic we're really the only demographic that matters at this yeah. point um, are you able to talk about your position um, in tech for sick kids and what you do on the board there yeah absolutely so we have a member council sick kids was looking for like different ways to raise money they wanted to create like a new emergency wing and yeah. so it's such an amazing initial hosp- yeah. like hospital like a world-class hospital yes. and I feel really fortunate I don't have kids but I feel really fortunate to have um, a hospital like that accessible in Canada and yeah. so if I ever did want to have kids just the fact that people are flying in from all over the world including the US to get access to this amazing hospital and we literally have it in our backyard and so they decided to um, partner with the tech community in Canada um, it's called the initiative is called tech for sick kids and they're trying to raise like a ridiculous amount of money I think, I think it's, it's like, 25 yeah. yeah million it's like I think we're halfway there already and so, so cool. yeah it's been really great they and so what they did is they reached out to um, influencers and prominent people within the tech community Aaron and I are both on the board yeah. we joined as members and we meet every week and we think of new ways to, to raise money so just like one initiative that I'm working on right now, every year 88 does startup trivia night for the tech yeah. community. And so last year we gave all of our funds to Baycrest Foundation. This year I'm organizing it again and I'm gonna give all of the funds to sick kids. Awesome. Um, we have another initiative that we're working on um, sometime next year and it's gonna be like a ball. And it's for anyone in the tech community um, to come out and we're gonna do like awards. So like the most like environmentally conscious tech company, the most like mission driven, the most, you know, best workplace to work for. And it's yeah. going to be almost like a notable voting system. And so that's going to generate a ton of money and we're going to yeah. give that to sick kids. And so it's always like organizing events, like increase bringing in sponsors, bringing in partners, just finding really creative ways to keep like raising funds for them and to give back and so that we can build this new emergency wing. That's so exciting. And so yeah, that's primarily what I do for them. I would say my initiatives are mostly sales and money focused, which is what I love doing. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Um, You were talking about how you were uh, on the the board uh, member for the the Sick Kids Initiative. Um, What what would you say is the best quality to have uh, in a board member? I think you have to be willing to be really generous with your contacts, which I think is actually a quality which is gen- like really generally important across the board, but especially in a position like that, I find 
you know, more often than not, I think a lot of people are very competitive in, in this mm-hmm. industry. And yeah. so they want to like hold those contacts in or they feel like there's not enough room for success and growth for everyone. And so, you know, I, I really challenge that mindset. And for me, it's you're only as good as your community and your community really picks you up. And so I think be the ability to be really generous with your contacts, like hustle for, for your board. And yeah. so, you know, obviously everyone's doing this on volunteer time and we're really busy people. And so, you know, really taking the time to carve out and do your outreach and do your outbound and make those introductions. And yeah. like, you know, event planning takes up a lot of time, but we see a bigger purpose and a bigger mission around it, yeah. and which is why we do it. So I would say being conscientious conscientious and generous with your time you did an article uh, uh, with Globe and Mail where you talked about like empowering women who Mm -hmm. are entrepreneurs and being generous with your contacts is definitely one way you do that Uh, what are other ways that you do that or that you think women uh, can do that to help uh, each other there yeah I think it's like I I meet a lot of women in like my day-to-day from events I organize from networking events coffee meetings conferences and I think like you know, every woman I meet has like different goals. You know, for Samantha, mm-hmm. it was to create like a really like world class, renowned podcast, and you know, for another friend, it could be to build up their speaking profile. And, and I think really any way that I can add benefit and value, whether it's introducing you to other like minded entrepreneurs who have a really cool story that you can interview, or you know, people who want to build their speaking career. I have a ton of people who come to me and like mentoring them through that process, and then introducing them to conferences that I'm speaking at, so they can speak to and build their profile. Or, um, you know, if you people want to article and write, um, oftentimes they'll write articles and send them to me and I'll first I'll edit it and help them like figure out what the best article layout would be for publishing. And then I'd actually reach out to um, journalists for them to get it published. And really it's just about um, anywhere where you can add value and you've already done it, like you've done it for yourself. Like there's no reason why you couldn't support someone else yeah. to get there as well. And I think their success is a very arbitrary term, but I think there's enough room in the pot for a lot of people. Yeah, I and agree. So. I love that. We have some kind of more general questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love general questions. This was your question. I like this one. Tell us something that, like, of all the world, like, what are you most curious about right now? Like, what do you want to learn? What's mm-hmm. kind of, like, getting your attention recently? I, oh my goodness, there's so many. I'm a very curious person. I ask a lot of questions, and I, I people have many times told me that I should have been a journalist. Like, yeah. I listen <laughs> to my calling. I would say narrowing it down, and this isn't necessarily work-related, but um, I, like, want to hit up, like, the world's, so um, TripAdvisor and, like, Coral Reefs, um, the the Global Coral Reefs released, like, a statement of, like, the 20 best dive spots in the world, and so I've, like, done, like, eight of them, and I want to, like, finish, I want to hit top 20 before I'm 35, so that's, like, something I'm really curious about exploring, like, more of the world's, like, marine life, and, like, seeing Before it's gone. Yeah, before Before it's it's gone. gone. Before it's gone. Such a sad reality. Um, I just visited my 60th country, and so by the time I'm 35, I want to hit 100. Yeah. I'm 30 right now for the people (laughs) listening, so I, before I hit 35, I want to get to 100, and so I'm just so curious about the rest of the world and places I haven't been. I have this rule where I won't repeat countries just because there's so much of the world to see and people are always like, but what if you really love somewhere? I'm like, I might love somewhere even more. That's like my one rule other than home, which is in the Middle East. I'm from Oman. Yeah. Other than Oman, I will never repeat a country. Where, where would you like to go that you haven't? So my number one, absolute number one country that I'm like obsessed with is 
can I say actually it's two it's like yeah. one slash like in a very close second which is kind of the same thing I would say number one would be Mongolia okay um the Gobi Desert is like the most incredible place I've ever been it's like the most isolating yet gives you so much perspective you're like the only human for miles and miles you're the only like in no civilization yeah. and it just puts entire life into perspective and makes you feel so insignificantly small yeah um so like i've never been to a place with such vast landscapes like you could literally pass a desert and then you'd pass green mountains and then you'd pass like barren land and you'd see wild camels it's one of the only places in the world that's like still has wild camels and um wild animals like roaming around in the free it's got like the world's largest population of wild camels i think the only place in the world now left with wild camels oh my god that's so cool i know it's it's (laughs) it's an insane experience to Um, to be honest i didn't know camels were wild i thought yeah most of them are domesticated and and bred but there used to be wild and and mongolia is the only place left of what so we'd be driving for hours and hours and then we'd see like a herd of wild camels that's so cool it was so cool i recently went to south africa as well and i really really loved it yeah. Um, because it has like everything Kruger National Park has like the wildlife where you're so yeah. close to nature it has the beaches um, the good food the great culture and so the only reason it's not number one is that the um, it's not like it's obviously not diverse enough for yeah. me like there's like a huge shocking disparity between yeah. like you know the whites the and the blacks and there's yeah. so much segregation that it's like jarring for me yeah um, that is the only reason that South Africa isn't up there with Mongolia. Um, yeah. I would say Mongolia has the edge. In terms of companies that are, countries that I want to visit, um, I'm going to Egypt and Lebanon in a few months. And Egypt I'm really excited yeah. about because of just the history yeah. and diving in like the Red Sea. Would it's be supposed to be incredible. Amazing. Yeah. I know. I'm so have you do you know where like the diving is supposed to be amazing have you heard we just watch all the documentaries yeah so like, <laughs> well, the one, the, one the BBC documentary that we saw is that, that, that yeah the entire coast off of uh, Saudi Arabia Egypt that entire area is supposed to have amazing coral reef reefs and because so much biodiversity yeah a lot of biodiversity and because the water the waters there are naturally warmer those those coral reef can uh, can can survive uh, the the rising ocean temperatures. Yeah, Yeah. I'm so excited. It's like it looked. We like couldn't believe it in the documentary. It looked amazing. So I can't even imagine real life. Yeah, like I I'm so excited. Like it's going to be amazing. It's it's always the places that you know. I I was doing a checkout dive in Costa Rica. I didn't like I've heard good things but not like it wasn't like one of the best dives yeah. to see and I literally saw um, a tiger shark on my like, checkout oh my dive god up. that's amazing so, I was like losing my mind that's so cool yeah it was so cool so like I'm pleasantly surprised yeah. I never expected Egypt to be one of those places where like you'd go for diving yeah. but now that I'm going and I started doing my research I was like oh like this is a, a nice surprise that one when we saw that on the documentary we're like I don't know if we'll ever get out there to dive but that was such a cool spot that we're like that's on the list and then Belize I want to do Belize Belize would be amazing as <laughs> yeah. well I mean of course it, Belize would be amazing so do you both dive? Yeah. yes sir. amazing and where um, where did you guys get your certification? we did it here which was yeah. freezing did oh, you? <laughs> did it in Lake Ontario yeah, oh okay. yeah oh, what yeah. month did you do it in? It was the summer. It was like June or July, but it was oh, just it was like it was so miserable. Like, yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, I like to think of it that since it was our test, it's supposed to be a little miserable because then you're lulled into a, a false sense of security, and right. you got to know that it can kill you. 
Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't I know. Like, my test was in Colombia, <laughs> and I was, like, pretty yeah. comfortable. But you're right. Maybe it's, like, a good benchmark to start you in. You can only go up from there. Yeah. Never. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most miserable experience in the water I've ever had. Yeah. No, and there's yeah. nothing to see. I mean, no. Tobermory has some cool shipwrecks, but other than that, there's literally we nothing saw, to see. like, the world's smallest, sad brown fish by himself, mm-hmm. like, sitting on a rock. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> this is <just> a sad <laughs> Ontario. <Aww. laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> that you even saw that I was impressed like isn't there like no visibility in Lake Ontario once you hit like below I would say like five feet there is nothing Curacao is our favorite dive spot and it's I mean that in general we love Curacao 100 foot visibility I've never been have you been to Aruba no um, yeah, so those islands out there, like those three um, with Bonaire, they're supposed to all have just amazing diving, and we we would recommend going there. Like they're beautiful, beautiful places. That's amazing. Okay, I'll add it to the yeah, list. Yeah, this is the list. Curacao actually predicts by um, I think it's twenty sixty that they'll have no reefs left around mm-hmm. the island. They do a lot of conservation, and they um, have a lot of like man-made reefs um, set up where new things are growing on it. But Curacao is suffering um, horribly just from hurricanes that are coming because of, like, the El Nino. That's and so what year will they no longer have? They believe 2060. It's, like, so soon. I know. That's way too close to home. I know. Well, the Great Barrier Reef's in, like, rough conditions yeah. right now, too. That's, like, another country that's on my list because of that reason. If I, like, want to get out there to do a couple dives. Just to see. Uh, well, it's, like, one it. of three places left in the world where there are great whites that you yeah. can see. I mean, we went. I went shark diving in South Africa, which... Which oh, was, like, so, so cool. awesome. Yeah. And they were telling us, like, they used to have, like, a large population of great whites, which are no longer there because of global wow. warming. And yeah. so the temperatures of the water, like, they can't survive in it anymore. And so they all migrated on. And so now there's, like, literally just two places left in the world. Bahamas is one. And yeah. um, Great Barrier, like, Australia. So sad. sad. I know. We love sharks, too. So do I. <laughs> yeah, I sharks are great. Sharks. Yeah, yeah more, more people die from coconuts than shark attacks. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. People, it blows my mind that people are so afraid of sharks. I know. Like, you guys, just like you're probably never gonna it. see one too in the ocean. Like the odds of like if you're like snorkeling by shore or something, I've seen one is so rare. But people or are if so you afraid. should only be so lucky. I know. Sure, yeah, sharks think we taste gross. We eat them more than they eat us. Yeah, I've, I've been like this close to one. Just oh, that's so cool. Into, they're the most beautiful. Like so unassuming. Yeah. I didn't feel like unsafe or threatened in the slightest, and I just. I think they're just really misunderstood. Have you guys watched Shark Water Extinction? No. So good. Is it? I would 100% recommend watching it. Yeah. I like was in tears watching okay. it the whole way. I learned, I'm a big fan of sharks, but I learned, learned a, lot a lot through this documentary. That would be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll check that out. Um, and we can talk about sharks all day. Yeah. <laughs> but to, to switch gears New a little podcasting. bit. podcasting. <laughs> um, so bringing it back to Quill, can you tell me what you're most excited about the platform? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. I'm really excited to raise um, capital for it just because I'm a firm believer that it's really difficult to grow companies and scale companies without investing money. And so um, I'm not looking to bootstrap and I'm excited to go through the whole raise process. One, because it's like for my own company, it'll be like a really new and challenging experience, which I think it's like high time for me to go through something that I'm like extremely challenged by. Um, and then I would also say I'm really looking forward to creating a marketplace that connects people. I love connecting people on a day to day. Like, yeah. I mean, you've seen it, but I tell a lot of people tell me that like, oh, you know, you should be in like a recruitment type role because yeah. you love connecting people. And 
I do love connecting people, but like with purpose and value. And so um, one of the biggest challenges while working at 88, we offer like very niche services. And then outside of that, we rely on freelancers to come support our, our projects. And, you know, finding really good freelancers is a full-time job. Yeah. And, like, people that you trust, whose work, you know, you can get behind, who you want to work ongoing with, you have a good working relationship. And so I wish there was some sort of a marketing freelance, like, dot-com yeah. platform that was, you know, catered towards marketing agencies. I spent probably two weeks a few months ago looking for a UX, UI designer. Yeah. It was, like, the hardest thing for me to find. And, you know... I love that this platform is now going to, you know, have vetted, tested, yeah. tried, and, you know, the very strict security, like, platform with freelancers where, you know, they're going to be putting out quality work, but with also minimum spends. Yeah. So it's not going to be like, here's, like, $20, like, you know, like, freelance.com, like, they don't have yeah. minimums. Like, we're going to actually have, like, significant minimums yeah. where you have to spend, and so freelancers are going to want to be on these platforms. Yeah. To find recurring revenue. And it's the security, too, when you're a freelancer of, like, actually getting paid through the platform. When totally. It, when you get to work through a platform, it's so much easier. Totally. And, I mean, it's cool because, like, podcasts are obviously a recurring thing. Like, every week you have episodes. And so a lot of these services that we're offering are recurring services. So, like, yeah. editing and research and scripting and producing. Like, these are things that you need, like, week to week. And so yeah. it's a great place for freelancers to go on and find recurring revenue. Um, which is like probably the number one challenge for freelancers is yeah. how to fill their pipeline. So we're solving two problems on this platform for freelancers. We're filling their pipeline with work, yeah. but with you know people who are creating podcasts, we're connecting them with vetted contacts. And um, to switch up a little bit, but as a founder, what do you think is like the number one skill that you've been using constantly? Sales. That's the one transferable skill that I think I've used in like every role that I've ever been in. And yeah. especially now that I'm a founder, I need to constantly sell, whether I'm selling to my investors, while I'm selling to podcasters, to freelancers, to, you know, community people, partners, conferences, like this, this idea is so much more than just creating a service industry for me. Like I'm building my personal brand from scratch now yeah. for all these years. I've been like the tech agency salesperson yeah. and now I'm moving into the podcasting industry and I have to start all over again, which I'm excited about, but it's like you have to rebuild your entire personal brand. And so for me now I've started writing articles about podcasting. I've started, yeah. um, you know, going on BNN and before I was a cannabis trends, um, anchor and now I cover podcast trends. It's like, you know, applying to all the conferences to speak at but not conferences like Collision and Web Summit which I'm still doing yes. but more so conferences like the podcast movement in Orlando and Florida um, exciting yeah <laughs> so it's like a very different type of um, project for me but it's like all encompassing like yeah. so I'm very all in right now and how do you think uh, people can learn sales do you think it's a skill people can learn or is it innate I think it's a skill people can learn. I think there are personality traits that really help, though. So, for example, like anxiety, the high sense of urgency, being hyper-organized, um, and just that ability to constantly just connect the dots and, like, always be on. Yeah. That's not for everyone. And I think some people, like, are fine working constantly and, like... You know, I think another big quality is, like, not taking things personally, like that yeah. fear of rejection, which is sales constantly. And so 
um, yeah, for me, I learned very early on that you're going to get a lot of no's and rejections in this industry. There's more lows than highs, um, but the highs are great. And so yeah. it's like constantly like this for me. You catch me on a bad day or sometimes on a good day, but um, I instead approach my sales quotas analytically and like I don't let it get to me personally. I just keep putting myself out there and remind myself that success is opportunity meets preparation. What's it like being a new CEO and how do you go about building like an all-star team for your yeah. company? The team is the most important part, and I would say the biggest challenge. Currently, I'm looking for a CTO, and it's like searching in a needle, in a haystack for a needle. Like, it's so hard to find the right team, and so my philosophy is hire slow, fire fast, and um, I have an awesome rock star team around me, and that's the thing. If you want to build a strong company and an amazing company, you're never going to be able to do it alone, and so you're only as good as your team. And so... You know, I've learned over the years what kind of a leader I want to be. I know I want to lead with empathy and compassion. And mm. I, I've i learned a lot of things from Erin, who's like, you know, the former managing director at 88. Yeah. And she's taught me, like, it's possible to be respected, but also empathetic and kind. And yeah. so I think that's where I start when it comes to, you know, recruiting people who are very competent and are, ba- like, put out great output, but are also kind and, like, you know, contribute to a company's work culture because culture is really important to me. I would also say like being very hyper honest, trans like transparent right from the get go, like what you're looking for. And so you know, some companies are about work life balance, some companies are about like com- community and com- like mission, and some are about output. I would say I'm like in a happy medium sweet spot, like somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, it is really challenging. I've been looking for a CTO for a while, and I still haven't found one. I'm not going to jump the gun. I, I'm going to make sure that I like go through the process of finding someone that I feel really confident about. So. The team is a big one. The team's a big one. And how did you go about choosing uh, your advisory board? Well, Erin was a no-brainer. She's yeah. <laughs> like been my mentor for almost a decade. I couldn't even imagine starting this company without having her on my advisory team. Peter at Abacus is another one who's like just a huge support system, very well connected. The number one thing I love about him is he is so generous with his contacts. Yeah. And like, And that is something that I'm big about on. Like, Whoever I want to be introduced to, he's like on it. Like he'll he'll do whatever it that's takes, awesome. and that's the thing. You want a very hands-on advisory board. Um, the other few people I have on it, I have um, Peter Acido, who is the CEO of CanTrust, the cannabis company, mm-hmm. and he's the former CEO of Tangerine. He okay. sold um, Tangerine to ING for um, I think three point four billion dollars, and so he really understands like scaling and yeah. exits. So. I, that was the reason that I decided to put him on my board because, you know, he really understands like the challenges that come with scaling companies, but he's also one of the nicest people I know. So nice. And it's so refreshing to see someone of that caliber who's so successful and just so lovely. And then I have Bruce Croxton on my on yeah. my board. He is like one of the nicest people you're soon about to find out. Also very generous with their time and, and resources. And of course it's Bruce. So, yeah. you know, he needs no introduction. And Michelle Romano, also another dragon. She's yeah just a powerhouse she's someone I really respect for multiple reasons she you know obviously has the entrepreneurial um serial entrepreneurial background and is very successful but she's also really well-rounded you know she is into fitness Mm -hmm. she's like a great partner she's built multiple companies she's just you know cares about the community um there's so many qualities about her that you know if I can think of one person I want to be like it would probably be her and so it was also no-brainer to have her on my team and the last person I have on my board is a podcasting expert. She's a podcast producer. Her name's Robin, and yeah. she's like produced many podcasts. 
in, around the world, Beta Kit being one of them, yeah. and so CanCon, and so um, she's someone when I need like podcast specific advice, like you know, want to break down ideas, like will podcast res- podcasters resonate with this? Will um, you know she's someone I go to for a lot of market research. So she's yeah. been very valuable in this stage of like the the company. She's sweet. She's a sea of knowledge. She yeah. like is usually anytime I have a question, I'm like, hey, quick question, what do you think of this? And I'll yeah. get like a ten page email being like, well, I just did a competitive analysis. <laughs> Hold these reports for you, and here's the market breakdown of X Y Z. And if we look at it from this angle, and then we look at it from this angle, and I'm like, great. You know, you asked me earlier, what kind of people are you gonna like hire? And like the like, I want like minded people like that. Like I want yeah. people who are helpful. Like yeah, so helpful. that is like, and she, you know, people who aren't expecting anything in return. Like you, you give out your contacts yeah. and your resources, and and believe that it comes around yeah. full circle. But like, I just I love that she's like yeah, that. it's awesome. It sounds like you have a great team around you and behind you and everything. Yeah, it's really good. yeah, I'm really lucky. It takes a village to to start something like this and. And hopefully when we sell for a lot of money, we can put it into the community and, and yeah. do something cool with the, with the profits. But right now it's pretty head down in sales. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so what, what would you say is the best way to scale a company and when's the right time to exit? Mm-hmm. Right time to exit is like always a tricky question only because it depends on what your goals are. Are you looking to build like a really big brand or are you looking to make... A sh- a lot of money in a yeah. short duration of time and retire and live on go live in a rebar curse yeah. <laughs> and and you know I'd be lying if I said that for me it was to build a really big brand I think it's the latter and that yeah. is I want a quick exit when I say quick a quick would be like a five year exit yeah. and the reason I want a quick exit is as much as I love the podcasting industry like I want to spend the rest of my life doing like community and philanthropic work and yeah. so I'd like to start a not for profit that's like my end goal and so Um, And I know exactly what I want to start in that. And so for me, like, this is like a step to get to the next step. And that step is like, you need money. And so for me, the goal is quick exit. And that's why it makes sense. Like for me, the right time is when I get the right offer. And which is why I've started having really strategic conversations with investors within companies who are, you know, in the same space as us and like obviously years ahead and they are potentially interested in making a strategic investment so that they could acquire us down the line. And so we're already having those conversations now because we are very clear about what our exit plan is going to be. That's smart. Yeah. Do you think every founder going in needs to know what their, if they have an exit strategy or anything like that? I mean, it it significantly does help. I mean, you don't know which way the market's going to take you and, you know, if you're going to have to pivot, but I think it helps because when you're creating your um, sales plan, your MVP strategy, and like your go-to-market strategy, I think you really want to know, do you want to focus on like slow and steady? Do you want to focus on acquiring as many users as possible? Do you want to focus on like like a lot of marketing and like a huge marketing dump so that you can scale? I mean, it really depends. And I think it does help to know early on what you want. A lot of people don't. And I feel like that's fine not to put that pressure on yourself. It's like obviously an iterative process that you figure it out. But um, I think it just helps in my case that I knew. It could also be that I have had a lot of exposure to startups. And so I know what it looks, what it's going to take to build a really big brand. It's like, the Shopify's, the yeah. Tobies, it's the Tisha's, the Ben Zifkins of the world who basically work 24-7. I don't necessarily want that. Like, yeah. I love the podcasting community, but I'm more passionate about like giving back to the community. And so for me, it's a no-brainer that yeah. I would want a quick exit. That's fair. Um, yeah, so kind of like just to ask a few more questions about uh, podcasts. Um, um, from 2014 to 2018, there's a 113% growth uh, in, in, in podcasts and in the industry in general 
Uh, where do you see it going in the future? Mm-hmm. Do you see it slowing down, speeding up? Yeah, there's there's 600,000 active podcasts, and in just the Crazy. U.S. alone, 40 million people are listening to podcasts yeah. every week. I definitely think the revolution is here to stay. I think one thing is that the the boom in podcasts has been supported by the boom in technology. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, just the fact that now we have car stereos that connect seamlessly to our feed and, you know, Apple's pre-installed podcast app, which has actually had the highest growth um, out of any of the brand's products. So out of everything they've put out, their podcast app has been like the number one in terms of popularity and growth. And so I think that's definitely really helped the boom in podcasts. And then... I think with like you know the continued growth we're seeing in, in Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher, mm-hmm. um, between curation and discoverability and a better user experience, I think these companies and brands are going to bring in the next forty million users. Um, there are a few things that like you know I want to see done better. I think podcasting, like a lot of other industries, needs better diversity, and mm-hmm. so I would like to see more shows represented through diverse voices, yeah. but. I think with initiatives like um, Google has like this new podcast creator initiative yep. where they want to bring in more diverse people. I think through that, we're probably going to see more diverse types of programming, which I'm excited about. Yeah. But I do think the revolution is here to stay. And I mean, the numbers kind of speak for it all. Like the industry is going 10 to 20% year after year. And so I think we're, we're going to see a lot of movement. Very cool. Where would you say people are listening to podcasts? Is it in the home, in the car, on the bus, at work? Uh, and which, what's the best, best kind of demographic to target? Or do you have to have a multi-channel channel mm. approach? Well, the format is uniquely situated to fit into our busy lives. You know, like that long commute to work or yeah. that session to the gym can now be accompanied by a podcast that teaches us and offers something of value without encroaching on our busy time. So it allows us to be productive with our busy schedules. And it's also presented to us in entertaining and narrative ways. And so I think any time where, you know, now people or before people were listening to say music mm-hmm. in the car, long drives at the gym, um, now going for a run I think now people are, are supplementing that with replacing that with podcasts because it's you know educational and while a lot of us don't have time to sit down and read a 10 page article anymore um, we may listen to that article in bite sized chunks if presented in an entertaining and narrative way sure. and so I think you know that would probably be those would be the formats and I would say if you're trying to reach out to um, when you say reaching out to demographic, do you mean like how do you connect with podcast listeners? Or um, I mean, I mean more so like, uh, do you specifically target uh, people like that are going to listen to your podcast uh, on the car, or or is it it doesn't it doesn't work that way? People usually start at home, finish in the car, or mm-hmm. mid, and then or like mid, midway in the car, finish at work. Do people listen to it at, at many different places? Mm-hmm. Would you say? So I've seen I've seen a lot of studies done where they've tried to break down like where most of the consumption happens, and I would say probably the commuter market is like the biggest one. Yeah. So whether you're on the train, or you're on like the subway, or you're on like you know driving in a car, I don't have to commute. I live like five minutes away from my work, yeah. and so. I would say for me, the biggest time that I listen to podcasts is at the gym. It's like an hour every day that I know I'm going to get my podcast time in. And sometimes um, I've been interviewing a lot of people who listen to podcasts as well. And they say before going to bed because it's almost therapeutic. And now people are getting into the mindset that they don't want screen time before going to bed. And so they're replacing screen time with podcast consumption time. That is really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And, you know, I find it really interesting because I was having a conversation with someone about this a couple months ago. And the way people are consuming media is 
changing. And so um, this woman I was I was chatting with um, for Quill, like it was like market research. She's like, yeah, like I listen to the pot. I listen to go to the gym. So she's like, my number one time to listen to podcasts is before to bed, and I find it helps me sleep better. Yeah. And I started doing that actually, and it really does. Like yeah. she's not like she. It's valid because I think normally I'm on the phone before going to bed. Yes, yeah, staring at a screen. Yeah, and it's reducing my screen time before bed, which actually does help me sleep better. And yeah. there's been tons of studies that have shown if you cut down on your screen time just before going to sleep, it really helps. So now people are either reading or they're consuming um, yeah. audio. Very cool. All right, um, so I guess for a final question before we go into the fast round yeah. that you gave us the idea for, yeah. or we're going to just ask you, is there anything um, that we didn't ask you that you really want to talk about? Um, you know, I think, I mean, we've covered a lot today's podcast. I think you guys have done an awesome job at like asking some really difficult questions that I have had to think about and, you know, wing through but I would say that one thing, like, I just you know sales advice for people is, yeah. like, the best way to be a salesperson is to not be a salesperson. I think salespeople have a really bad reputation for being sharky and, like, you know, make looking to make a quick buck. And I would say that if that's you, you're, you're, you're doing it all wrong. Like, yeah. it is possible to be authentic and genuine and build relationships and not be a grimy salesperson but still be really successful yeah. and I think the best advice I've gotten from my mentors is the best way to be a salesperson is to not be a salesperson yeah you know look to see if you can actually solve someone's problem and if you can't then you shouldn't be working with them it's so important to be authentic and real and honest with people and I think it comes around full circle I mean even at 88 I'm notoriously famous for turning down business if I don't think it's a perfect fit and I find by having that attitude it comes like they send you referrals they bring you more business like it it actually really helps that's awesome so now we're gonna go into the fast questions switch each one so it's gonna be so intense (laughs) awesome Alrighty. um so first what's your you've answered this but your favorite place you ever traveled mongolia Mm -hmm. what's your favorite diving destination columbia and would you live anywhere but toronto yes where Bangkok. What's the best street to be in in Toronto? Mm, I would say Queen Street. And uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh my goodness, this is so funny, but um, Starships by Nicki Minaj. Okay, awesome. <laughs> what's, uh, if you remember, what's the last song you listened to? Um, I think it was, um, oh my god, this is so embarrassing, but um, Backstreet Boys, No Place Like yes. Home. Yes. <laughs> and uh, what's an artist you want to see live but you've never gotten to? I'm actually going to JLo's concert <gasps> in um, a couple months. My oh sister my just got me tickets today. I'm yeah. so excited. That'll be amazing. Mm-hmm. What's the last movie you watched? Sharkwater Extinction. Very nice. And the last book you read? Currently reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. And what about last podcast you listened to? Aaron Parker, The Lucky Few, and uh, actually just listened to one after that. Um, it's like the last serial season, the latest one. What's the last TV show that you binge-watched that you couldn't stop watching? I binge-watched the entire all the seasons of Game of Thrones in the last two months. Oh my god. <laughs> so I, I just started two months ago from season one and <laughs> yeah. started the books, and I've read the books and, the, and watched the entire seasons ready for, for May's like, new launch. So, That's impressive. Game of Thrones, yeah. <laughs> and coffee or tea? Tea. Then how do you take your tea? Um, English breakfast, skim milk, and sweetener. Beer or wine? Wine. 
And um, what's your ideal meal? Pizza. Mm. And no, and tacos. Yes. Uh, what's the last place you got delivery from? Amazon, always. And uh, what's an event that you're really excited to attend this year? Collision conference. And what about for speaking? Collision also conference. Collision? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the best boss you've ever had? Aaron Burry. And uh, what was your first job? I did sales for an energy company. What is your guilty pleasure song? We, we know the Backstreet Boys, but I guess. <laughs> I would say Backstreet Boys chances. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, do you have a pet? I did. I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, we've been shopping around all weekend for um, re- rescue dogs right now. Aww. So I'm currently fostering. <gasps> that's so exciting. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any names picked out? Arby. 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 Arby are a little, a little mutt. We have to find yeah. him. We don't yeah. know what he's going to look like. Mutts yeah. are the best. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're the healthiest. <laughs> yeah, they are. They um, are. But, I mean, we're going to take whatever whatever yeah. is available. Like, yeah. We don't care about like the breed. Yeah. Are you going to try and find in Toronto? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. We're just going to go to the Humane Society. Yeah, Our scruffy paws, like one of those yeah. places. <laughs> Yay. Well, that concludes everything. Woo-hoo! We Woo-hoo! covered sharks to dragons That's to sales. That's awesome. That was Back like to so sharks fun. Again. Back to sharks. Um, that was so fun. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in, Fatima. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. This was the very first of many episodes for Floater Founder. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.